This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Tonight we have Tyler, hello. Hello, Vanessa. And Brad in studio. Hey, Brad, we haven't given you a mic, but uh, (laughs) we do appreciate you panelling for us this evening. So if you hear the magical smooth transitions, that's, uh, that's Brad's work with us tonight. We are pretty excited. We have a couple of guests ready and waiting to be in studio for your pleasure tonight. <laughs> One is David Renu from Loke Digital, a great local success story. We'll be talking about customer experience and mobile payments and loyalty apps. It's going to be very interesting. And we're also going to be chatting to a couple of fellows from the connected community hackerspace. What is that? What do they do? What can you do there? We'll let you know more about the hackerspace later in the show. But until then, let's hear some news, Tyler. Ah, news. Uh, always a good way to start the show. Uh, let's hear something very tech-related. Facebook uh, has had a share price drop uh, worth $119 billion uh, from the company's value um, and $15 billion from Mark Zuckerberg's personal net worth personal net worth. Um, So it's one of the biggest single day falls in US stock market history. uh, And $119 billion is nearly the entire market value of corporate giants like McDonald's, Nike or IBM, and only 19% of Facebook's. People believe that it's due to the uh, the recent uh, controversy with privacy and the fake news fight, um, such as uh, the Cambridge Analytica scandal and uh, the comments uh, by Zuckerberg and their marketing team in response to that. Um, and yeah, so it is such an interesting story. I mean, we usually don't like reporting on a uh, financial mm. side of the tech news. However, this is so significant because it's put a financial value on Facebook getting privacy wrong mm-hmm. and and not really managing to address those concerns at the Congress level or in terms of the public conversation that it's having exactly. with its users. Yeah. yeah, it's really significant and it's a bit of a vote of no confidence in their ability to turn that around in the short term. Definitely. And, and what it might mean for um, news publishing on the platform in particular. So mm. this is very much a watching brief for us. You know, how can they turn that around and what will people decide that they value um, investors are sp- uh, speaking with their money? Mm-hmm. Mm. Definitely. Uh, also in um, uh, tech surveillance, privacy, um, we've got something uh, from the Australian law side, don't we? Yeah, we yeah. do. So there are some new uh, technology surveillance laws um being unveiled today in Australia that are aimed at uh, crime and uh, terrorism surveillance, basically. Mm. The federal government reckons that the legislation that we have at the moment is out of date to enable, um, I guess, uh, the federal police to do their jobs. Mm. And uh, and it's also, I guess, affects all sorts of security agencies. Mm. So they're saying that in the last 12 months, about 200 cases have arisen where their investigations of serious crimes have been impacted by their inability to access data under existing legislation. It's not unusual for more pushes into, um, into access to people's private data happen on a crime mm. um, basis. But I, th- I think this is really concerning uh, when this happens in such a way that it might threaten the uh, security of lots of different platforms that we all mm. use. Some of the asks that they're making of, of technology companies are that they give them ways to access encrypted data and mm. 
there's there's concerns that this might mean weakening of encryption. It also might mean that, you know, for platforms where uh, companies have really tried to do the right thing by their users and have great mm. security and privacy requirements that you might be undermining that ability because when, when things are often really well designed, the companies themselves can't see into that encrypted data. And that that's a great place for users' privacy. Exactly, yeah. But it, but it doesn't seem to be where the federal government mm. wants wants data to be. Uh, of so course, there's a tension, yeah. yeah. Of course the government has insisted that it's not going to be a backdoor for them to be able to get into our phones. There's a lot of regulations that they've talked about, like a AR three-tiered uh, warrant request. Um, so they've got a voluntary, and of course the warrants aren't going to the individuals specifically, they're going to the companies. Um, so they've got a voluntary request uh, from ASIO or the uh, AFP, then there's a compulsory request, and then the third level is a uh, compulsory for a, compuls for a company or individual to abide by. Also means they have to work to build uh, in functionality into their technology to accommodate the government's interests, which is that that's the worrying level. There are to me. a lot yeah. of a lot of problems with this. Mm. I think even at the the various types of things that aren't quite warrants, there mm. are, there are problems in terms of checks and balances mm. in our systems. There, I don't think that the oversight's good enough, and I'm not sure that some of the people who are meant to be saying yay or nay to these things actually have the you know, yeah. um, the privacy interests at heart or even the awareness of what they're saying yes or no to. Like sometimes the, the tech literacy itself is problematic. Mm, definitely. Um, speaking of uh, vulnerabilities in tech, uh, at DEF CON recently, um, Wu Huiyu and Chan Wenjiang from Tencent uh, presented a... Uh, uh, presentation on how they had successfully exploited an Amazon Alexa speaker, turning it into a hot mic, uh, being able to surveil um, its users around it. To be fair, in a very difficult to achieve way involving replacing a lot of parts, uh, soldering and uh, resoldering. So mm -hmm. um, it can be done and it's sort of, uh, I, I suppose it could be considered a white hat hacker uh, attempt to uh, show the vulnerabilities in the Alexa hardware. Um, and, and calling that out in such a way that hopefully future future bits of hardware might try and mm. be a bit more robust around yeah, of course, that. yeah. Would you have an Amazon Echo in the house? Uh, no, I was considering getting a Google Home, but I think that's probably worse. I <laughs> heard a very interesting comment yeah. from um, someone who I respect who's a, a technologist who said that the only reason they're happy having any of these listening devices in their homes is because they live by themselves with their cat. <laughs> but if they were having any sort of, you know, other human in their house, then it started to get problematic. Yeah. I thought that is fascinating. It's what a take. Probably right. Yeah. yeah, really interesting. Um, so one other little piece of news which caught my eye this week was that VW, um, in the wake of Dieselgate, so you remember a few years ago, they got in trouble for under-reporting and incorrectly reporting the emissions coming from their electric vehicles. Um, they, as part of their uh, $2 billion settlement with the Environmental Protection Association in America, uh, have have to spend some money on a nationwide in the States electric vehicle um, charging network and electric vehicle education. Because it turns out that 
lots of people don't know very much about electric vehicles mm. and some of the environmental benefits of, of electric vehicles. Yeah. Um, I'm sure it's uh, it's still a bit archaic. Like, uh, have you seen that episode of The Simpsons where they've got the electric vehicle that goes at three kilometres an hour <laughs> and uh, in, in on tracks? And uh, <laughs> I think a lot of people would still have that image in their heads, uh, having not seen a lot of the modern advances. I've got to say, my predominant image is is of the the silent car that that's going to run over my foot because I don't oh. hear it coming around the corner. <laughs> Stealth car. Yeah, but I did see a bit of Craig Rucastle's um, War on Waste on Foreign Correspondent last night where mm. they mashed it up with Foreign Correspondent and they went to Sweden and they did look at some electric car, like charging stations mm. and, and different ways that they can uh, get some benefits out of the energy. So that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Anyway, it's, it's an interesting way of, of making a company responsible for their actions and uh, I think that's kind of a good outcome for consumers. Mm, definitely. Um, so uh, the time is uh, 7.10 here on Bite Into It with Vanessa and Tyler and Brad. And I believe Brad has a tune for us to play uh, before we have our interview coming in from Loke Digital. Uh, if you've ever loved Gelato so much that you've downloaded an app to make a payment more convenient and to earn some points to exchange for a reward, for rewards, you might just have been tapping into the software developed by Loke Digital. They're a local company and tonight David is uh, going to tell us more about them. Welcome, David. <laughs> Pleasure to be here, Vanessa. Thank you. Great to have you here. Um, so your company has been around for quite a few years now and you've gone through a few iterations. We'd love to hear a bit about um, what Loke are now and then maybe if you could take us through a bit of your history. Sure, absolutely. So it is a bit of that, um, the, the same old story you might hear about things not happening overnight. Um, people seem to think that maybe, you know, success comes very quickly, but it has been a long journey for Loke. So um, we've been around six years. We started in Adelaide looking at um, marketing for hospitality venues. And um, we found that one of the most common problems being people who had owned hospitality businesses and people who were trying to solve marketing problems for hospitality businesses was that it's very difficult to measure your return on investment and to know where your marketing spend's going. Mm. Um, and we saw that the businesses we were doing, we were building apps, we were doing social media, and there was a trend towards um, something a little bit different to what else was in the market. So we built a product called Boogie Spot, it was based on social interactions for loyalty. It was pretty straightforward, but it was revolutionary at the time. Mm. And um, it got a huge response. People it, love the idea of being Even the user. name, there's something about it that's so Aussie. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Boogie spot. Yeah, exactly. it's very relatable. It's not four square. It's not dry and straight. Yeah, yeah. And, and literally uni university students grabbed onto this concept and, and ran with it. And um, our founder, one of our owner founders, uh, Matt Curry, who's an amazing salesperson and literally went around Australia visiting hospitality venues and selling them this idea. And it took off. It was fantastic. Um, but this was really the, something that was focused on a customer experience and that loyalty aspect. And we saw that there was a future in payments. Payments was really something that was emerging. So we built our second product, which was Aston Club, which was an aggregator app. So our first product was white labeled. It went after loyalty for brands that had, had significant followings. And then we built an aggregator app, which was payments. And that solved a problem for the merchants. And that was looking at um, bar tabs and integration mm. directly to a point of sale. You'd walk into, an, uh, into a venue, your name and your face would be on the pause and they'd be able to charge you without having to hand over a credit card or use cash. 
And, you know, four years ago, that was still pretty new and I, current. That is a massive issue for anyone who's had too good a night out on town and accidentally left the credit card, mm. which is such an embarrassing <laughs> thing to do, to have to go back, close that tab the next day, pick up the card. Right. I, I feel like that is the contemporary walk of shame. Yeah. It's uh, happened to fair few too many times. It's never happened to me. Yeah. Yeah. And for the venues, I think it's, there's you guys who are doing it accidentally yeah. and then there's those people doing it intentionally as well. Yes. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a problem that that solved and that's fine. It was great for the, for the venues, but really for the consumer, then that was just a gimmick. It was a great sort of interaction, but there was no return. So the third iteration of what we do is the current product, which is all of those things rolled into one. It's a white labelled loyalty product that... Um, allows the customer to pay. It's integrated directly to the POS, so it removes any contact in the payment process. And it offers the merchant the ability to offer them loyalty, so there's a benefit for the customer. And then for the merchant, they learn about their customers and they can really start focusing on that customer journey. So let's unpack a bit of that jargon. Sure. So what's, what's a POS for those? Uh, point of sale system. Point of sale. That's so, a very clean version of the POS acronym. Yeah, nice. Yeah. Uh, and what about when you talk about white labelling? Can you explain what you mean by that? So it's a customer-branded product. So mm. an aggregator app would be Uber Eats where you log in and all of the customers are in the one product. Mm -hmm. We provide a service for customers who you probably previously took a physical loyalty card mm. and you would have been willing to have that in your wallet because you visited that brick-and-mortar business five or more times a year. So our customer base are, are those um, those retail brick and mortar businesses that you would used to pay and have a loyalty card and we now provide an app in their brand mm. in return. Wow. Um, I've, I've noticed uh, I'm on your website at the moment. Uh, I've clicked the build your app button and some of the app features that we can choose are ordering ahead. You've got mobile payment, like you said, loyalty points, customer insights, location services and point of sale integration. Um, one of the uh, big success stories I've, I've heard from you is Gelato Messina. Um, can you tell me about sort of how the development of that app sort of um, came, came around? Sure, absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, look, I, I, we started off doing single-site cafes, mm. doing um, single-site pubs, and Messina was a turning point for us. It's a, it's a brand with uh, great following in Australia. Anyone who's had Messina is instantly addicted. We've all been in that queue on Smith Street, yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. And they were, they were actually uh, traditionally a cash-only business. Um, so when we launched the app with them, we developed a relationship and we looked for a way to um, allow the customers to pay with a card without having to have an FBOS terminal necessarily in the store. And to really look at that, um, the customer loyalty that they had that would enhance the experience for both the customer and also for the merchant. Mm. So customer journey mapping is a massive field at the moment. And uh, I wondered, did you go to that level of detail with them in terms of investigating, you know, their user behaviour and, and what the, the demand from the user's point of view was in terms of making that experience a better one? Or is it something that you kind of generalised a little bit more and looked at more from the, the payment side? Yeah, that's, I mean, it's a, it's a very interesting question because as a cash-only business, they had very little idea who their customers were, mm. how often they were coming, what their retention or their frequency was, and the app was able to actually return that metrics back to them. So once they had customers using the app on a, on a more uh, regular basis, all of a sudden they had a whole lot of information about the customers they never had before. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, the uh, the data uh, collection in in this sort of apps is invaluable for, um, especially like something uh, like like you said, they were cash only. Um, 
so uh, I've noticed here that you've got um, you can actually say what something Messina's chosen to do is return the loyalty points for experiences, not just like items, uh, so that you can get a uh, clean the chance for a loyal customer to take seven friends on a seven course experience at the Messina Creative Department. Um, and what sort of uh, <laughs> what sort of uh, things have have you seen other other companies you've worked with uh, integrate into their loyalty points yeah. system? Yeah, that you find interesting. Yeah, it's, it is. I mean, that's one of the things about the platform mm. is is rather than create a, a one-off product with a, a fixed set of loyalty options, mm. we created a platform where each merchant can create their own experience. Mm. So we look to best practice in the world, something like Starbucks in the US that does 30% of their business through their loyalty application. Mm -hmm. And we create a product that is affordable for small businesses in Australia or New Zealand or Singapore or wherever we happen to be doing business and they can create that. So if Messina who have a really cool like ice cream lesson class wanted give that away, they mm. can. If your local pub that has their beer supplier giving them eskies, they can give those out. They can really customise that to however they want. So it means that the the platform doesn't define the experience mm -hmm. for the merchant. They can define their own loyalty experience. Great. So yeah. I imagine there's a real balance to find there. I mean, we are always banging on about the importance of, of privacy and security here. But... <laughs> By the same token, you know, we're still on lots of social media things and really the decision point is much more about what is an appropriate trade-off and what, you know, creates an experience that we're willing mm. to go, this is a fair amount of data for me to exchange for mm. this. Do you end up giving um, the companies you work with a lot of guidance on where that balance point is and what they might need to do in terms of incentivizing people to use the app? I mean, did you do any research into, you know, when people drop off and just go, oh, we're not engaged with it versus the ones who become like more engaged? Yeah, that's a really, and that's something I'm fascinated with and I'm watching the metrics on all the mm. time. So for a good example is in Australia, geo-targeting. So we haven't introduced the feature yet where you can um, push notify someone based on the fact that they're close to your store. Mm -hmm. However, in Singapore where we're operating, that's a must have feature. So that kind of level of how often to push notify, how much do you let a customer know that you, you know they have enough points to get a, the, the next reward really varies on business to business. And it sounds like culture to culture because uh, there is that element of what does a culture find creepy or what is convenient and yeah. helpful? Yeah. yeah. Our research in Australia would show that if, if you were walking past a, a store, one of our merchants, and you got a push notification, you're more likely to lose the customer than get them into the door. That is really amazing. I, I'd love to hear more about those sort of differences around <laughs> the world because, you know, you could learn so much about people. It'd be, yeah, it'd be yeah, really cool. It's definitely. I mean, that's one of the things about moving into new cultures. We're in New Zealand and Singapore and the UK now, and each environment, it's not just the challenges of technically setting up, but actually learning about the sales culture and the actual demographic and how they'll use the technology has been really different. Yeah. It's blown my mind doing a bit of research into Singapore and uh, I looked into how they do their public transport moving around because I found out that you could get a little Hello Kitty dongle that would like hang off your mobile phone and that could be the equivalent of your public transport ticket. Nice. Isn't that incredible? <laughs> and I just thought they brought so much, you know, passion to that idea about how can we make this fun and, and what will people here pay a little bit more for, which was interesting. <laughs> I was like, wow, you pay more for that? <laughs> but yeah, it was, um, it was really 
different to hear. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. I, I think the uh, the culture of customization for businesses is is a really important step to be taking for businesses to keep their identity alive. Um, and I think yeah, like there was a um there was a certain venue which I'm not going to name on the radio that a few years ago had a loyalty app. Um, that had some very questionable uh, ways to um, gain loyalty points mm. on there. But the thing was, it did work. It brought people, like there was one where it's like, if you find the owner and take a take a photo selfie with him and upload it to the app, you'll get 40 points. So mm. and it's like, that's a free drink. I'm like, that's a really great idea. Very odd. Um, and yeah, it's it's great to see that uh, with, with Loke, that uh, it's, that sort of app is becoming more accessible to, to businesses around Melbourne and, and Australia and internationally, of course. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So and, and you see you see businesses where they feel like push notifying their loyal customers, mm. you know, twice a week is is okay. Whereas mm. some think once a month and some think that giving away an experience is is much more interesting mm. than giving away a free yeah. coffee. Yeah. Definitely. So is this something that generally your clients are doing as an extra on top of maybe having a profile on different social media networks? Or is it something that they're using to actively opt out of having to engage on those networks? It varies, again, from business to business. Mm -hmm. I I really think that um, there is a shift from social media being a point of acquisition Mm -hmm. to social media being somewhere where you're actually keeping your loyal customers as well. So I think the real challenge at the moment for businesses is in such a noisy marketing environment, how do we acquire new customers and how do we know who those new customers are? Yeah, I think that's the new challenge. Well, it's been great hearing about Loke Digital. I wonder if you could reflect a little on how you've seen the startup community change over the six years that you've been iterating through these different products. <laughs> you know, do you feel like there have been some major changes here? Or Yeah, yeah look, I think Australia is a very small market. I think that's one of the things that we've faced growing up in Australia. We grew out of Adelaide, we grew to Melbourne. Mm-hmm. We've grown out of Melbourne and we sort of looked to Asia and now we're really looking to the UK, both as a product that has a niche sort of potential market source, but also for capital raising as a business that's looking to significantly raise money, that Australia is a limited market and it's become a lot more competitive. I'd like to see a lot more from the government in terms of you know uh, trying to keep Australian businesses here. Um, but at the moment, really, as Australian businesses grow, you're going to see more and more growing offshore. So talent-wise, were you fortunate enough to be able to have the talent you needed here to, to grow or, you know, did you have to go to other places to, to source the people to, you know, realise the dreams early on? It, interesting. So so far, we've been, we've been lucky. So we've got a loyal group of people who not only have been there for a long time, but we've offered an incentive by being part of the growth of the company. So that's been a, a, a way to keep them. But that's very meta that the loyalty <laughs> and experience focused company has good internal loyalty and experience. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's what we want to hear. But that's, that's the story, right? Yeah, it's all going to come together somewhere. Yeah. Oh, you want to walk the talk. That's fantastic. Look, David Renouf, it's been fantastic chatting to you about Loke Digital. Thanks for coming and sharing the journey with us. I've loved sitting here in the studio. Thank you. Welcome back to Bite Into It on three triple R one hundred two point seven FM with Vanessa, Tyler, and Brad. Uh, Vanessa, we've got some new people in the studio. We certainly don't we? do. We've got Adric Landman and Andy Jolme, who have joined us from the Connected Community Hackerspace. Now, what is that? That is a space that you can access in Hawthorne, and it's community operated. It's a workshop where people can meet and work on tech projects. And we just wanted to hear so much more straight from the source this evening. Welcome, Andy and Adric. 
Thanks for this, Brad and Tyler and uh, all the hackers and makers out there. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, so you haven't come in empty-handed this evening, but we're going to get to all of the delightful gadgets keeping me company very soon. <laughs> Just kill that robot. Knock them Just kill all yeah. over. Um, I'm very sorry, robot. It's going to be okay. <laughs> uh, could, could you give us a little bit of a spiel about what you're all about at the Connected Community Hackerspace? Uh, so we're just a community group who comes together to build things. Um, we have a space in Hawthorne that we have many tools that we can play around with and um, we're completely a volunteer organisation. So everything you see in the space is run by volunteers and maintained by volunteers, which can be a hard ask at some times. <laughs> oh, we understand here at Triple R we are just the same, which I think is what really attracted us to you when we when we heard about um, the good things going on in your space and the diversity of things that you do. Could you tell us a bit about maybe the range of things that, that go on in your space? Yeah, so it ranges from uh, people who are very good with mechanical tools, so lathes and mills, CNC machines, laser cutters, that type of thing. People are into electronics, so they um, we uh, show people how to start off with soldering, then all the way through to design and manufacture, um, even if you've never done it before. Uh, there's people into, into, into software, uh, particularly around con- uh, home automation. Uh, we've got a gardening project now, which um, Adric will talk more about, and of course, uh, robots and uh, drones and AI. It's everything that I love. Robots hooked the audience as soon as you said it. Uh, we've got a robot here on the desk at the moment. Uh, Here's some robot sounds. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> and you can all visualise it. Uh, he's triple R colours. He's got some uh, got some uh, dark red and uh, it's got a sticker on the front. Um, could you could you tell us a little bit about uh, why you've brought this robot in? Yeah. Uh, um, well, that's a, a rescue robot. It's in uh, Akihabara in uh, Tokyo and uh, there's a robot shop there which has a, a wide range of robots and there's these two pre-loved robots that are, I think they look like they're ex-soccer robots and, uh, and one of the things we're trying to do is help help uh, kids and newcomers get into robotics and I thought these would be great great projects to um, refurbish and uh, make, make them do, uh, do, do sort of interesting things around the space. Wow. They've really got such personality and the idea of um, rescuing taps into all those great ideas about, you know, making sure that we recycle and that products, you know, we think sustainably about like end of life and whether we can get more use out of things. Mm. It's a a really nice combination of ideas that you've got there. What What are the youngest type of people that you get visiting your space? Um, we get, like, uh, people from um, high school kids, uh, uni students, um, and even younger than that, um, they come in with usually their parents to help um, keep them under control and uh, <laughs> not, not uh, put their hands in places that could uh, really injure them. With all those lathes around? Yeah, lathes, yeah. Uh, especially lathes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we have, like, our 3D printers as well and, like, the, they can get quite hot. So if you put your hand in them, it could end quite poorly. So we tend to have, um, we tend to have like, a bit of choose-your-own-adventure what you do, but you have to sort of know what you're doing to some extent how to use the equipment. Mm. And so, yeah, we've had children, um, I think as young as like 10 or 15, come in and... Three um, and four, Addy. Three and four. (laughs) (laughs) A favourite photo of uh, Addy asleep on the... I've got a crazy supercomputer chassis and she's asleep with her blankie and an iPad (laughs) and while the mum's uh, 3D printing um, hearts and and, uh, skulls from uh, sort of neonatal. So, yeah, it's, it's a very cool day. Oh wow! That's some great accessibility there. Uh, so I did um, I did stalk your website recently and see a little bit about a project you had in the gardening space. Why don't you tell us about that? Because I think it gives people an idea about how creative you can be. Um, so we had this idea. So we basically have this vending machine that's been sitting in our space where we thought we were going to convert it into 
like a proper vending machine that you could buy and sell things and like um, dispense um, electronic components and things like that would be useful. Um, but it's been sitting there and no one's touched it. So we had this idea where we could convert it into a hydroponic system. <laughs> and so, so we just like gutted the entire thing, um, put silver foil up and... Um, put in all these lights in it to uh, to help grow plants and then we got a big tub of water and so we pump all the water through and um, trying to grow um, plants. We're about to set it up this weekend actually. That's yeah. genius. I, I saw some of the photos up there. It looks like a quite quite an intense project to be to be uh, taking on. Um, yeah, it's, yeah. All, sort of, um, it's all backed with aluminium foil with these purple glow lights, so it does look pretty futuristic. <laughs> bit, of the, bit of the TARDIS in there. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit overwhelmed. You've got so much stuff that you've brought in. Like, we've got these uh, LED strips in the background. You've got an RC car. I don't know what's in there, but it looks great. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's, uh, let's hear about let's some hear of about them. Let's hear about some of them. Yeah. I, this I'm, is uh, Andy's normal kit. He brings around with them everywhere he goes. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you came in with a very impressive backpack. So what I'm holding in front of me is... Um, what looks like a car. So it's got four wheels. At the front, there's a camera. On top, there's something which I'll get you to explain because I didn't know what it was. We can see um, a Raspberry Pi type setup here that looks like it's controlling things. And why don't you tell us what this vehicle is? So uh, over the last year and a half in uh, California, there's a group called DI Robocars, and they've been inspired by um, the whole self-driving car uh, phenomenon that's going on. And uh, what they want to do is show newcomers how you can actually uh, delve into the technology and build your own vehicle. So they've taken a, a remote control chassis, so something you can get off uh, Hobby King for maybe $70. Mm -hmm. um, you add a Raspberry Pi and a webcam. Uh, you, can, you can download some uh, uh, AI software. There's a, a very well-documented site called uh, Donkey Car. Mm -hmm. And uh, within a matter of uh, a, a few days of build, build you can actually get a, a self-driving vehicle up and just run it run around the track. So in addition to the camera at the front, I got you to explain to me this rotating thing uh, at the top of the car that has a YD LiDAR written on it. Now, what was what's LiDAR? So, so uh, similar to a radar, which uses radio waves to, uh, to measure distance and give you, give, um, uh, give you a view of what's around, uh, LiDAR uses uh, light. So it's like a, little la like a laser pointer that rotates at about five times a second and uh, just gives you a distance to all the points around you. So you can basically use it to build up a 3D map of your surroundings. Um, and, and, and this software is all uh, publicly available open source stuff, is it? Yes. Yeah. Um, if you've got a, a community space and you're trying to share knowledge, mm. um, having open source hardware and software is, I think, I think key to that of because course, yeah. uh, it means that uh, rather than just talking about stuff, you can go to GitHub, download code, you can go to um, many websites like Instructables and mm. so on, which, which will take you step by step through a project. Yeah, and some I, I did see a lot of your project pages up on your wiki, um, and some of them from as far back as like uh, 2012. Um, can you tell me a, a bit about how the community has grown over the last over the last six years? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've I've been involved with the space for I think almost uh, ten years now, um, and Andy here was the founder. Mm. But um, yeah, I've I've seen it grow quite dramatically. We've um, always we've. It's migrated from Andy's um, garage in Hawthorne. He might yeah. be able to talk more about that. And I've, I came in when it um, uh, moved to this uh, garage in Hawthorne. This, not what does he call it? The like a former car uh, like mechanics, a, yeah, like oh, a mechanics, car yeah. mechanics okay. garage. Yeah. yeah, so it's perfect. So basically, there's a joist that runs right down the centre of the space. We can, um, as long as the landlord is uh, approves, we can do pretty much whatever we want. So how, how big do your projects get in there? <laughs> Well, the space itself is a project. Yes. <laughs> Keeping yes. it all running. Wow. 
Oh, I love it. That's um, yeah. So they said it started in your garage originally. Yes. Andy. Yeah. Could you tell us about the sort of the inception of the community yeah, uh, well, hackerspace? Yeah. Well, as a kid, um, I was around when so as microprocessors first came out, and it was very hard to find out information about about this. And the, you know, universities were only just getting into uh, computing computer science at that time. And over in uh, in California, there was the Homebrew Computer Club, which was ultimately they were the, sort of like the birthplace of uh, Apple and uh, mm. Microsoft and uh, a whole lot of hackers, <laughs> and uh, and over t- uh, and in uh, Europe there was the uh, Chaos Computing Club, and then things went a bit quiescent for you know, 20, 30 years, <laughs> and then uh, hackerspaces were rediscovered with uh, Noisebridge in New York, where where the MakerBot came from, the three D yeah. printer, and uh, Noisebridge in San Francisco, and so around. 2009, a whole lot of hackerspaces started springing up around the world, uh, including Australia. So Sydney, Brisbane, Canberra, us, mm. and uh, and then uh, basically sent a mail out saying, "Anyone wants to come around on the weekend? Just come and we'll just, we'll, just <laughs> we'll build some things." And that was when the Arduino first came out as well. Of course, yeah. And so it, it re- that reinvigorated uh, hobbyist interest in electronics because it became very inexpensive and easy for people to get into uh, electronics. You could be a musician. Um, or, a, or a kid with some somewhat crazy idea, and or an artist, and you could build build something. Wow, that's amazing! Yeah. So it sounds like you've really kept on top of worldwide trends. Um, thank you so much for keeping Victoria up to date with them. Mm-hmm. When I think of some of those trends um, with all the the maker spaces and hacker spaces coming up, I think about the fix it movement. Mm-hmm. Do you get very many people like aware of the fixing movement in your space, and are they interested in trying to participate in that? Um. We do occasionally have people dropping in trying to usually fix um, audio equipment, usually uh-huh. trying to uh, mm. remove the remove capacitors and things like that from um, amps to make them a bit more uh, a bit more powerful and things mm-hmm. like that. But um, things that are expensive to do otherwise, yeah, yeah things that are expensive <laughs> and um, usually require some specialized tools that we mm. do have. So um, yeah, we get we get those sort of things. We try and avoid um, people who are coming off the street and trying to muck around with uh, 240 volt yeah. uh, equipment because this could end really badly. And <laughs> yeah, so but we do encourage people to to build and um, build things and then tear tear other things down and see how they're working. And um, yeah, it gives a good insight into uh, like how the world around us is being built because mm. yeah, you get so many of these boxes that are just like magic boxes. And you're, like, sometimes really curious about what exactly is going on inside them. Mm. Yeah, and uh, quite often uh, plastic parts break, so we often have people come in just wanting to do 3D print or laser cut something to replace something that's, that's broken in their household or a car. And uh, other sort of types of things happen. There's a, there's a young busker, she's about to go, I think, up the East Coast, and she wanted to basically build a bed for her van and then they needed a, um, a drop saw. And so just dropped by one Sunday afternoon and uh, with a friend they just chopped up a lot of wood and made a bed in their van. It's, it's an amazing community service when we think that, you know, not everyone has access to, to tools. You know, once you have a lot of equipment, it can become really expensive and then knowing how to use everything. How do you keep on top of, um, you know, the learning about how to, how to use things and, and who does teaching in your space? Um, so we usually have a group of people who come around who, um, who are there at the space openings and we'll uh, teach people how to use the tools that we have around. And... Um, yeah, we have like uh, people who just just dropping in. Um, people use it as their shed just to mm. build things um, because uh, people more and more people are living in apartments these days, and it's becoming harder and harder for you to like have a place where you can tinker, especially with, like the smaller and smaller apartments. So yeah, we have um, people who will teach um, teach people how to use the tools, um, and people also sort of self learn a bit as well. Mm. So. You can come in and then some people become the experts of the tools and the other people just like like hand it over to them to, <laughs> to teach people how to use them. Wow. 
That's yeah. So um, so the space is mainly open Monday, Tuesdays. Is that is that correct? Uh, yeah, Mondays, Tuesdays. Um, we also do Wednesdays, and Wednesdays are more specialised. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, one Wednesday a week, uh, one Wednesday a month, sorry, we do um, Nodebots, which is uh, small robotic vehicles for uh, young kids to build. Mm-hmm. Um, We've got a really cute example here. So this one has two wheels. They are quite robust sort of wheels and um, what looks like, you know, a motherboard, like pretty much just a, a card as for all the, uh, the software to be plugged into it. There's a, a battery charging it. There's a, a timer or a, a clock type thing display, an LED display on the top. Yep, that's the voltage of the battery. That's the voltage ah. of the battery, nice. Uh, a couple of different engines, which look very similar to the ones that I used to have, uh, which work either of the, the wheels. That's, uh, that's very cool. Yeah, and that was designed at the space by a guy called John Spencer, who designs a lot of things that we have. Great. Like soldering kits and things for people to learn on. It's fantastic, because when you look at the, the bottom, not only does it tell you who designed it, but that it was made by uh, freetronics.com.au, and it gives you the link to the GitHub um, information about the Lollibot. Huh. So it might be a good point just to mention there's uh, in hundreds if, uh, of people have contributed over the years and uh, many of them are professionals or experienced hobbyists, as newcomers who come in. And so uh, a lot of these people like John Oxer has uh, Freetronics, which um, basically creates open source hardware for uh, Arduino-like things, now ESP32. Mm-hmm. Got, um, people who uh, maintain all the gear, it's uh, just an incredible number of people make this all work. It's incredibly generous too for people to give in to something like this, make it freely available and let other people learn and, and become enthusiastic about it as well. Wow, it's it's a little bit of a step up from those little J-Car electronic kits that you get, <laughs> isn't it? Ha- having to be able to get in and actually work with other people and have, have those tutors. Um, so I was going to ask one more thing before we finished up. Um, I was really interested in if you had any sort of uh, success stories for networking from any young engineers or developers that have come in through the space and uh, have had success with their designs or um, have, have made great partnerships um, over the years. Um, well, in terms of uh, very young engineers, we have a young fellow, Liam, who was, he first came to the space when he was nine, mm. and uh, he was uh, given a broken PS3 and was, I think, by a friend, and if you could repair it, it was his, and he <laughs> did. And after that, other people started bringing their PS3s for Liam to repair. And uh, last year, uh, Vela Georgiev, who's a very talented uh, local hardware engineer, mm. ran a, a tour to Shenzhen to basically take a cohort of about 10 or so people across to Shenzhen to learn about manufacturing. If you know, basically come to a space like ours, and I should mention there's a lot of other spaces mm in Melbourne um, and Victoria. So as um, I was quickly mentioned, there's um, Mesh out in the east, there's um, Make Create, which is just around the corner from here. Mm. And they're, they're, um, they're, da- they're closed just for a few weeks whilst they're upgrade to a, a big new uh, space, mm. which is neat. Uh, there's ba- uh, Ballarat, there's a hacker space there. There's a uh, Footscray Maker Lab. There's the library at the Docklands. They've got a, a maker space. Geelong, uh, Warburton is starting up. They're gonna have a mini maker fair in October. <laughs> and there's um, many, many maker spaces now at libraries and schools. So I just wanted to mention all that. But yeah, so uh, so Liam um, continued on, and then um, it was two last year. He's 15. He was basically taken across to Shenzhen and exposed to all the all the factories and the accelerators and the uh, markets and so on. So it's been great to basically take uh, young young folk to you know have that experience. Uh, we're so across you, the road so from you, Oh, sorry. I was going to say, so we students come across from Swinburne and work on their projects. And then a few people have been uh, fortunate enough to basically crowdfund their projects. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have like Mark Wolf from, a, he was the CTO of Ninja Blocks, and they were, they were a, a, a crowdfunding Kickstarter yeah. um, mm. project. So yeah, we wow. have a lot of that. That's excellent. That's really good to hear. So you've um, spoken a lot about uh, some of the 
the men and boys who've been involved in your space, but diversity is something that you've been working towards. Um, what do you see in terms of diversity in your space at the moment and, and you know, what are you thinking about it? Well, working towards and uh, I'll say, you know, not great results yet. Um, mm. There's many talented women in, in uh, tech in, in uh, Melbourne and Australia. So I could just list off you know, a dozen uh, quite easily. I just mentioned Vela before. Um, there's Marita Chen, who's um, got a, a robotics company. Absolutely, there's Sarah a, a Lyft, young Australian yeah, of the year. Yeah, and, yeah. 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 so there's, uh, but I think what it is, uh, uh, they're, they're very busy. Um, and, uh, and and so we do, we do have a few women come through. So um, we ran an electronics course and, and two women came along. Um, there's a young, young, young student came in the other day to get help. So we, we do see women at the space, but... Uh, for, 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 for a number of reasons, um, we just, uh, the, the gender imbalance is terrible. But what we do find is um, whenever on workshops, if we don't do, any, if we don't do anything special, uh, I guess all the men jump on very quickly, um, just ruining the, the ratio. Uh, but if we basically um, uh, leave, some sp- leave some spots, we uh, reach out, we can often reach like a percentage like at the Linux conference where it's mm. about, I think about a quarter, a quarter of, the, of the women turn up to that. Mm. As a 25 percent ratio. If we make, if we take um, care to do outreach, then we can have the similar ratio in, at, at our workshops. So mm-hmm. it's something that requires um, a lot of work and effort. And we're still trying to figure it out. Yeah. Well, hopefully people will hear how great your space is and how welcoming you are mm-hmm. tonight, and think about you know if this is something that's accessible to them. Uh, because you're doing some great things there. Mm. You did mention some trips to... Just before we move on, I just want to say, um, there's there's nights like, there's there's three nights and there's weekends and so if if a a bunch of enthusiastic young young women or or, or people of any sort of, there's diversity crosses a lot of ways. Sure. Um, If they want to come in and just take over a night and and do their own thing, they'd be very welcome. Oh, that's fantastic to hear, Andy. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, look, it's it's getting late. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to tell people about um, opportunities to participate in the space just before we go? Yeah, so um, we have currently uh, weekly sessions, Mondays, Tuesdays and Wednesday nights where we're usually open. Um, and Saturdays we're, we're going and, to and Saturdays where we're getting started again. And what's uh, the best website to find out more information about all of this? Um, so our, our website is uh, World Wide Web. Um, hackmelbourne.org um, so you can see uh, more information about there uh, about us there and um, see what we've been up to recently um, but I'd also like to uh, talk about um, we applied for our pick my, um, pick my project grant mm-hmm. for the um, with the Victorian government and I uh, would like to people <laughs> would like people to vote for the uh, courses for the next generation of tinkerers and builders yeah which so what we're trying to do is trying to get the government to sponsor um, uh, courses over the next year, basically, for um, teaching people free, uh, uh, teaching people for free, like all the technology yeah. and skills we have. So I'll get the details of that off you after this, and that yeah. way we can tweet it out and hopefully send people the link so that they can vote for you if they think that that sounds like a great idea. Mm. Very appreciative, <laughs> yeah, Andy Adric. Thank you so much for coming in and telling us about the community connected hackerspace in Hawthorne. It's a uh, last bit of Bite Into It, 7.58 on Triple R with Tyler, Vanessa and Brad. Thanks for being with us this evening. It's been amazing. We do want to call out that there is an amazing event coming up on the 
27th of August at Lardner Park, which is Binary Shift. It's a regional innovation and startups conference. If you're interested in regional startup space, then you should really check them out, binaryshift.io. Now, we'd like to say a big thank you to our guests this evening, David Renouf from Loke Payments, um, Adric and Andy from the Connected Community Hackerspace. You can check out their stuff at hackmelbourne.org, which is a very cool URL. They're based in Hawthorne and um, they're really interested in increasing the diversity of the people accessing their space. So get on that. Tyler, thank you. Brad, thank you. Everyone who's been tuning in this evening, thank you. We've been bite into it. Do stay tuned for the International Pop Underground with Anthony Carew up next. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.